The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. In uh, looking at Simon Peter, how Jesus makes a disciple, case study Simon Peter, we're in Matthew chapter 14 this morning. So let's hear those Bibles coming out or the silent sounds of your uh, apps opening up. If you do not own a Bible, uh, we have some in the seats in front of you. We also have some in our Welcome Center out back. If you want to stop by after service, we would love to give that to you so you can take home that Bible to read. We're in Matthew chapter 14 in a story that is likely familiar to many of you. This follows the story of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And then we have this story of Jesus meeting the disciples as he walks on water. It's a story that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and John, but Matthew is the only one who records for us the incident with Peter walking out on water to meet Jesus. And so, communicants, you thought you got wet this morning. Uh, Peter got really wet in the story we're about to read. In his gospel, Matthew presents Peter as something of a spokesman for the disciples. And so, That means that we are often meant to see pieces of ourselves in Peter, whether that is for better or for worse. This passage has a lot to teach us about faith and pride and humility. And after meditating on this passage all week, I have become quite convinced that I get it wrong a lot more than I get it right. And so I've been pretty cynical with myself about whether I even have something to give to you on this passage. So I've needed the Lord's help to fill these dry bones this morning, and so I would ask that if you think of it to please pray for me as we're walking through this text together. Let's turn ourselves, turn our attention, rather, to uh, the reading of God's Word this morning. We're going to be looking at this passage, and I want us to see an example of what it looks like for a follower of Jesus to become a humble and zealous disciple. So we're going to look at that, and then we're going to close at the end. I want to tease out some application then about what the effect of humble and zealous disciples might have on our community. So let's read Matthew chapter 14 together, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter answered him, Lord, If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. 
And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would meet us this morning and that you would fill us, and that you would teach us what it means to cast ourselves completely on Jesus for mercy, for forgiveness, for love, for all of our hope. Be near to us, Lord, we pray, by your Spirit. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Andy Crouch is an author. He wrote a book a few years ago called Strong and Weak. Some of you may have heard of it. The point of the book is to show how a follower of Jesus needs to embrace the paradox of, you guessed it, being strong and weak at the same time. He says that a disciple of Jesus must learn to embrace the paradox of strong and weakness, strength and weakness in order to enter into a place of true flourishing. And so he uses these four different paradigms of postures, of potential uh, positions a, a disciple might have in their stance toward Christ. Only one of them is the place of flourishing where this paradox is truly embraced. And so I'm going to steal his paradigm, I'm going to mess it all up, and I'm going to apply it to this idea of being humble and zealous at the same time. And I want to argue that it's a bit of a paradox for most of us. And I say this is a paradox because I think many of us know what it's like to be prideful and zealous. Many of us know what it's like to have a bruised ego and feel little zeal for the Lord. But how many of us know what it's like to really enter into this place of true flourishing where we are both humble and zealous for the Lord at the same time? So four postures we might find ourselves in following Jesus. I want, to, I want you to keep in mind as we walk through these in this passage this morning that we often find ourselves maybe in different places and we move from posture to posture, but I think most of us probably gravitate towards one more than the others. And so the point of kind of walking through this is to, for you to ask yourself, where do you often find yourself? Where do you find yourself this morning? So the first posture that a disciple might find themselves in is a, a posture of pride without zeal. This is the hard-hearted, bitter person who believes that they can go through life self-sufficient. They can take care of themselves and are mostly unwilling to let others in, whether that's Christ the Lord or a friend or a spouse. Vulnerability for this person is seen as weakness. In a recent New York Times article, author David Brooks, he outlines five lies that our culture tells us, and one of them is the lie of self-sufficiency. He says that this is the lie of individual accomplishment, that I have no need for deep relationships or mutual dependence. Peter is a great example of this. If you remember back to the text a couple of weeks ago that Charlie preached from in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, when Jesus first calls Peter, he is pretty resistant to Jesus coming into his life. And if you remember how Pastor Charlie so eloquently put it, it was something to the effect of, stay in your lane, bro. It wasn't until Peter saw that Jesus had command over the seas and the fish that his heart was first opened to this notion of following Jesus. And so I think this is where most of the disciples, including Peter, begin their journey as a disciple. A self-sufficient, closed-off, prideful posture. But I think we see it here in our story too, but in order to see that, I want us to flip briefly over to the parallel account in Mark chapter 6 and verses 45 to 51, there where Mark records this same incident. 
But Mark gives us some detail about the disciples that we don't find in Matthew. The disciples, they're out on the water. Jesus isn't with them. And keep in mind, this is just after the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. So they should have known what Jesus is about, right? Like they should know at this point, like this dude's for real. But look at what Mark tells us at the end of his account of this story. He says in verse 51, Jesus got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and the disciples were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The disciples, despite all the things they had seen Jesus do, were in a position of unbelief. And that's ultimately what this first posture is. It's a position of unbelief, of little faith, of hard-heartedness, of being closed off. And I think it's just as possible for a professing Christian as it is for a non-Christian to find themselves here. And one of the scariest things about this position is people often, they've they've been hard-hearted for so long, they don't even know they're hard-hearted anymore. And so what about you? Is your heart open to the Lord this morning? Are you open to others coming into your life, or are you trying to get through life on a self-sufficient posture, all alone, thinking that you can do it on your own. The second posture the disciple might find themselves in is a disciple who is both prideful and zealous at the same time, this sort of weird combination of arrogance and pride, but also thinking themselves zealous for the Lord. And this is a dangerous place to be in because, again, we can so often deceive ourselves. We believe we're doing great work for the Lord even when the Lord hasn't asked us to do it. We presume on what Jesus wants from us, tell him what he ought to do for us, and we do what we want because it makes us feel good even if it's foolish and risky to the people around us. This is the posture of fake it till you make it. Last week when uh, Pastor Bruce preached his wonderful sermon from John chapter 4, he did a shameless plug for the youth ministry and a wonderful ministry that it is. I'm going to do a shameless plug for a very different kind of ministry. Um, Once a month, the second Friday of every month, I facilitate an outreach at a local brewery called Rockville on Tap. And the idea is trying to network Christians with non-Christians in the community to try and build relationships so that we might see people come to know the Lord through our love for them. Bruce exhorted us to find people to make them our eternal friends. Well, if we want to have eternal friends, we have to go where the people are. That's the idea of that ministry. That's the end of my shameless plug. But all that to say, I spent a lot of time at this local brewery trying to get to know people. And so recently I attended a one-year anniversary party uh, for for the company. And uh, at this party, they had a raffle for everyone who was in attendance. Well, lo and behold, I won the raffle. I felt pretty good about it, too. The prize is I get to name, design, and brew my own beer there at the brewery that they're going to sell alongside the rest of their lineup. Well, Neva wasn't with me at the time, and so I wanted to kind of seize the opportunity to gloat a little bit. You know, come home, look, look what I won, you know. I'm the VIP. And so I kind of had a little bit of fun with it. But you know what? Here's the truth of the story. Neva's not here. I don't even know if she's going to hear the, hear the truth of the story, but one of you can tell her after service. Um, I was picked 12th in the raffle. The first 11 people just weren't there to claim the prize. 
So the truth of the story is I'm not that important at all. I was just in the right place at the right time. But you know what? It has been painfully easy to fake my own importance for the last three weeks to see how long I could keep the joke running. Painfully easy. And that's what's so scary about being a disciple who's prideful and zealous. We deceive ourselves into thinking we're striving for godliness when really we're just coasting on our own skill and merit. Isn't this so often where we find Peter in the Gospels? He runs foolishly into situations not knowing what he's asking or what will be required of him. Do you remember what he says in the transfiguration? Right? He sees Jesus and Moses and Elijah and he can barely see the glory coming down. And then he has the audacity to say this. It's good that we're here. Let me make you some tents. Now you got a place to stay. Nobody asked you to make tents, Peter. And nobody asked you to walk on water either. One commentator writing on this passage said this, and I'm going to paraphrase. He said, Peter's request is a wish not well considered that bursts into a flame. Peter should have judged himself rightly according to his capacity and to have instead asked Christ for an increase of faith to give him proper guidance and direction in the storm. Instead, without the wings of faith, he desires to fly at will. Though the voice of Christ has no weight in his heart, he desires that the water should be firm under his feet. And so this commentator concludes, Let believers, therefore, instructed by Peter's example, beware of excessive haste. Wherever the Lord calls, we ought to run speedily, but whoever proceeds farther will learn the mournful result of what it is to overleap the bounds which the Lord has prescribed. This is why Peter sinks. Rather than moving from a place of faith, he desires to have an impressive show. He walked out on the water, not in a posture of dependence on the Lord, but from a posture of a hardened heart and prideful arrogance, thinking himself zealous for what the Lord would have for him. And this is why Jesus rebukes him in his question, you have little faith, why did you doubt? In this busy culture that we live in, I think this heart posture is the most dangerous of all. I think I speak for most of us that we, the pace of our lives often feels faster than we can run, and yet we choose to run it still. We jump headlong into new commitments, often convincing ourselves that because it's an opportunity in front of us, this must be what the Lord has for us. And yet we never pause for contemplation, for prayer, for heart examination, and even to ask our Christian community if they would agree with the decision in front of us or not. Listen, this has my name written all over it, all right? Guilty as charged. But what I've been learning, especially over the last year, is that if I'm going to move beyond the dangers of this posture, I'm going to have to slow down. I'm going to have to slow down if I want to build room into my life to really discern what the Lord is calling me to so that I can move not from a place of pride, but from a place of dependence and faith. The third posture that a disciple might find themselves in is false humility without zeal. False humility, which is really still a kind of pride. This is the posture of a person with a broken heart and a crushed spirit. When the weight of our own failures or the crushing experiences of life not working out the way that we thought it would begin to take their toll, two things begin to happen. 
Shame sets in and we retreat from God and we retreat from others. We might think this is what humility looks like, but it's really just a kind of besetting sadness that overtakes us. We no longer have zeal for the things of God because we believe we're either unfit or incapable of doing what God would ask of us. I think many of you in this room know what this feels like this morning. Can you imagine how Peter felt as he was sinking into the water? Like he gets out of the boat and it's like, I got this, I got this, I got this, I don't got this. His body was physically sinking but his soul was being crushed under a bruised ego and the feeling of shame. This is where we find Peter toward the end of the Gospels, just before Jesus restores him. After failing to keep his promise to stay by Jesus' side, after his many denials of who Jesus was, Peter retreats in shame and just goes back to a life of fishing. Can you imagine how disqualified and incapable Jesus felt, not Jesus, Peter felt in this moment, sinking in the water before his master. I believe I've shared this before, but I think it's a personal lesson that bears repeating. Prior to coming here to Shady Grove, I had been a pastoral intern at three other churches. None of them worked out. Most of the reasons why it didn't work out was for circumstances outside of my control, and yet I couldn't help but start to feel like I was the common denominator. You know, like, what did all these situations have in common? Me? Three churches, three failures, and I was this close to leaving ministry for good. I had my application in at plenty, plenty of other places in our area. But when this position opened up and Charlie got to know me more, it was the very things that I thought had disqualified me from ministry that Charlie believed made me most qualified for the job. You know, the Lord has a funny way of taking the experiences that we think have broken us to a point of being no longer of use. He has a funny way of taking those situations, those circumstances, and redeeming them for his own glory. And I'm convinced that those who are crushed and broken in their spirit are in a far better place to be of use to the Lord than those who are in a place of trying to fake it till they make it. God created much out of nothing. And when we are made nothing, when we become nothing, God can do much with us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. The fourth and final position that a disciple might find themselves in is the humble and zealous disciple. Peter moves from a place of pride to a place of prideful zeal to a false humility and being crushed in spirit, but then something spectacular happens. He throws himself completely on the mercy of the Lord. You know, there are times in the Christian life for short prayers and for long prayers. This was a time for a short prayer. Lord, save me. Peter moves into a place of being humbled and now zealous for the Lord. 
for a moment, if only for a moment, we see Peter in this place of true flourishing as a disciple, humbled by his weakness and in awe of the Lord's strength, if only for a moment he is zealous for nothing other than Jesus himself. This is the same response that we see in Peter when he sees Jesus on the shore in John chapter 20. No longer does he want a miraculous display of faith. He just has to be near Jesus. And so he dives headlong into the waters to get to shore. I just have to be near my master. The place of flourishing, the place of true humility and great zeal for the Lord is found by the person who knows how great their need really is. Need for forgiveness, need to be loved, need to be rescued, need to be restored. Faith moves us into a place where we recognize who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he is able to do. The Son of God, our Savior, who laid down his life for sinners and who was raised in power, now stands ready with open arms for you to cast yourselves on him this morning. Will you let your heart burn to be near Jesus today? Or are you going to continue to coast through life on your own skill and agenda? Have you pressed into the community of God on account of zeal for the Lord or have you retreated from the life of God's people counting yourselves unfit and disqualified? The Lord is near to us this morning ready to embrace you if you are willing to cast yourself in faith on Him. The humble and zealous disciple enters into a place of flourishing not only for themselves but also for their community. And so I want us to tease out just a bit of application on this for a moment. Notice how our passage ends. It says that after seeing this event unfold, when Peter and Jesus got back into the boat, the disciples worshiped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The woman at the well, she ran and told her testimony to her community and many people came to faith. Peter's display of faith in crisis led the disciples who were hardened in their heart to a place of worship. I believe it is very unfortunate when Christians run from the very things that God would use to humble them and grow their zeal for himself. Such Christians not only miss out on the beauty of experiencing who Christ is, but they miss out on seeing what is possible for their church community. What the Lord might use to strengthen or bring others to faith, we run from in fear. So I want to share a quick story with you about how I've seen this work in a church family. Seven years ago, Neem and I became members at a small church plant in Fairfax, Virginia that had just been planted a few months prior. The community, we were young in age, young in faith, but we were zealous for the Lord. We stood in, we stood in amazement as the Lord added to our numbers what seemed like every week and our weekly attendance tripled in our first year alone. It was incredible. 
But in a lot of ways, looking back, I think we were also filled with a lot of pride. We were kind of full of ourselves as well. Like, look at all that we have done for the Lord. For the most part, our young church filled with young people hadn't needed to face suffering together yet. And that all changed when a young father of two daughters with a third along the way was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. Ian faced a choice when that diagnosis came. Would he face it sort of in his own skill? Would he sort of posture himself up? Would he retreat with anger, with a sense of defeat? I'll never forget the morning when we brought Ian and his family up to lay hands on him and to pray for him and his family. Before our congregation, he stood up and he said, I don't know what the Lord has for me in this, but my faith is in Christ because I fear God, not cancer. It was a powerful testimony. We got shirts, blue shirts that said, fear God, not cancer on them. And you know, there's this incredible rallying experience when you come to a church and everyone's wearing the same thing because you know you're all supporting someone. It was amazing. His testimony of faith became a force that drove our community to deeper love for the Lord and love for each other. We stayed longer after service to pray together and spend time with one another. We made our community groups a priority because we wanted to be near to each other and pray with one another. Service in the church began to become a priority because we started to love each other more and wanted to know what we, how we could grow in our love for each other. The time we spent together increased our love for one another and relationships that were formed then are still strong today even though most of us have moved on to different places and different churches. The men of that church know me and love me deeper than any other men that I know and that all started with Ian's testimony of faith rallying us together behind him. Jesus makes disciples by taking stories of faith in a community to build the faith of others. That's how he works. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we pursuing relationships in the church that allow for the Lord to use our stories to make an impact on others? So let me close just with a brief, quick word of application, thinking about our ladies on Mother's Day. You know, the Bible puts a huge emphasis on the faith of women and the impact that it can have on others. Of course, there's the famous stories of Esther and Ruth and Naomi. We have the woman at the well. We have the woman who saw the empty tomb and proclaimed the resurrection to the disciples. We have the example that we read of in our service this morning of Eunice and Lois passing on their faith to Timothy so that he became a pillar in the early church. In both 1 Timothy and Titus, Paul instructs older women in the church to disciple younger women, to see them as daughters, and for younger women to see older women as mothers. And together, they are to shape one another, challenge one another, grow with one another. So let me just encourage the ladies in our church. Continue. Many of you are doing this already. So continue to disciple one another in faith and in love. The church needs that. It's one of the things that makes the church beautiful. So continue to do that. Some of you who have some years of wisdom and experience under your belt, find a younger woman in the church to share your life with, to pour into. 
Younger ladies in the church, seek out an older woman in the church. Ask her for coffee. Ask her to share some encouragement and her faith with you. And that should be a beautiful thing to see the ladies in our church continue to do that together. And for the rest of us, let us cast ourselves on our Savior this morning. Let's not run from the things that the Lord might use to humble us, to use us, to grow us in zeal for himself. Let's be shaped together in being humble and zealous disciples of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we look at this story of Peter and we wonder how someone who walked so closely with you could so often appear not to get it. And we recognize that if it was possible for Peter, then it's certainly possible for us. Lord, as we prepare our hearts through song, as we come to your table this morning, I ask that you would grow us in faith. You would break our hearts open in love for you, that you would lift drooping heads this morning to see that you have made them fit and qualified, and that you love them and care for them, and that you would grow us all together as we seek to serve you as disciples who are following Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.